It's New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1994, and within the hour, we'll be welcoming in what's sure to be the greatest year of modern rock the world has seen. In the meantime, tune in to New Year's Rockin' Eve, featuring Melissa Etheridge, Salt and Peppa, and Hootie and the Blowfish. In this final hour before midnight, join us in taking a special look back at 1994. Hi! Hello! <laughs> Oh, we didn't say our names because we don't have a normal intro. I'm Al. I'm Trav. I am Quillen. Um, I thought that because we're kind of nearing the end of our, basically our first season here, that we should just kind of take a moment and say, um, we're having a lot of fun. And the fact that you're all listening to us have fun talking to each other is great. And it it's bringing us a lot of joy. And we really appreciate you just uh, being curious about what we have to say and, and, and spending some time with us. Yeah, absolutely. I love um, uh, especially getting texts from my friends about, uh, you know, what we talk about and following up about it and just continuing the conversation. I think that's really fun. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do agree. <laughs> we're we're wrapping up our first almost year here because we started in April. Um, and so we're going to do this episode and take a short break and we'll come back with 1995. And uh, we're going to make this sort of a tradition, a year end tradition. Um, so the first thing that I wanted to ask you all about is on December 31st, 1994, if you go back in your little time machine here, what would you have said was the best song of the year? Um, I probably would have said Time by Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. Pretty good. Good answer. Yeah. I uh yeah, I was thinking back, so I, I always think of this time, um I just think of like Growing up and listening to music, I always think of the influence that my brother had on me, and I had forgotten. It. I my brother reminded me of this recently in a conversation that my sister was the one who I got into Hootie and the Blowfish off of, and uh, she actually played a pretty big role uh, before my brother. Um, and Hootie was one of those things. Also, all the terrible Christian music that I was listening to predominantly at this time, like DC Talk and uh, Audio Adrenaline and The Newsboys. And uh, and so how old are you at this point? Uh, let's see. I would have been 10. Okay. Yeah, 10 years old. Uh, so at uh, December 31st, 94 would have been during fifth fifth grade for me. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm surprised. I guess. Wait. So Trav is a year older than you. Uh, t- two, two, like year and a half. Two years. Year okay. Half. Okay. Yeah. I guess I forgot how close we are in age because mm-hmm. I was nine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're a year I, below me. You were a year under me. Yeah. Uh, in school. Um, 
I was not aware of the well I was aware of the existence of this music but I only listened to 60s music basically Mm -hmm. in 1994 I'm pretty sure that at the point that Kurt Cobain died I don't think that I knew who he was Um, I don't see any reason why my parents or any of my friends would really ever have mentioned Kurt Cobain it's possible that I sort of had a passing reference point but like I think the kind of like the visits with friends that I've mentioned of hearing like Dookie and Smash at other friends' houses, that was the extent of it. And I think I was probably at least slightly intimidated by that Mm -hmm. stuff. So um, I believe that throughout my fourth grade year, I think that the only CDs I owned, period, were um, Beach Boys' Greatest Hits and... uh, probably most of the Beatles albums by that point. And the only thing from the 90s that I can think of, I'm a little confused about the release date of this thing, but um, I had a children's music artist that I listened to a lot named Tim Noah. And I was kind of embarrassed, I think, that I was still listening to that at that Mm -hmm. point. But um, the album Super Tunes by Tim (laughs) Noah is something that you should check out if you have the opportunity cool (laughs) yeah um i actually so i went through all of the uh the number ones on the the billboard hot 100 in 1994 just to kind of like refresh my memory about like where i was and what i was listening to and it struck me that there were like when you're looking at the charts there's like a hard break around september where it started to become like everything got freshened up and there was a lot more like new cool stuff um but looking through the year there were like different it it seems like it was such a long year because there were so many different you know phases of of songs and things at the beginning of the year i would have said my favorite song was um river of dreams by billy joel Um, okay i'm not sure i'm familiar oh you know uh in the middle of the night oh in the middle of the night song gotcha um and by the end it was definitely when can i see you by babyface um i got that single and the wild night cover by john mellencamp and michelle indignio cello um that single as well and uh listen to the shit out of both of them loved it That's cool. I I really like your uh, your top forty slash adult contemporary roots. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like there, these songs. Like a lot of the songs were very like richly like written and composed and things. There was a lot going on with them. Cool. Yeah. Um. Do you want to hear what what Beavis had to say about nineteen ninety four? Yeah. Can any of you do a butthead impression? I can't really do a Beavis impression, but it would be helpful if one of you idea? would do the. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> if you did, 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 did chime Wait, in with that, that. I think that's Beavis. No, I th- isn't that butthead? I think butthead's the whole. <laughs> right? Is he? I mean, isn't that basically what we're doing this entire podcast, anyways, is a Beavis and butthead impression, laughing at each other? Yeah. Well, I thought that 
Gosh, I really think that Butthead is the Cornholio guy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to... This is verifiable. Okay. Uh, this will make some good podcasting. Um, let me just see which one is Beavis. Beavis is... Shoot. <laughs> Beavis is Cornholio guy. Okay. All right, so then I got to read it in a different voice. So you can, you guys can do the... Oh, you guys can do that part. Okay. <laughs> so, all right, hang on. Let me pull my shirt over my head and see if this works better this way. <laughs> so, uh, this year sucked. <laughs> it seemed like there were all these new bands this year, and they all looked the same. <laughs> and they all had the same kind of clothes and stuff, and they all had lead singers that sucked. And then they tried to sound like they were sucking on purpose. That was my okay. I, I thought I was gonna. <laughs> I thought I was gonna be doing the other one. So um, no, that, that was good. My, that was great. Alex. You, uh, yeah, you, you, switch hitter. You nailed it. You nailed it. So yeah, um, the, the, the it seems like there's this constant uh, accusation of that this is the year that everything started to get all uh, homogenous and mm. um, and I, I feel like our episodes so far have have not supported that theory for the most part. Yeah. I do wonder if it's just cause like we care about this um, style of music that like somebody on the outside would be like, yeah, they're all like bands with guitars and it just sounds the same. Mm-hmm. It feels different. I, to me it feels different, but I wonder if like somebody who didn't care about the style of music was just like, yeah, that, that every song we've covered is basically the same thing. Yeah. I guess I, I see a big difference uh, between the Nirvana influence and the REM influence. Yeah, Trev, the person that you just described doesn't understand a thing called nuance. <laughs> well, um, one of the things that we wanted to do in this episode was check in on some stats. We have a we have two spreadsheets actually. We have um, a spreadsheet with all of the dates and all of the uh, chart performance of all of the songs. And now we have a separate spreadsheet where we can average out all of our ratings. Uh, did you all take a look at this in advance? Or is this all going to be surprises? I, Surprise. I, pe- I peeked at it a little bit. Well, first let's go through and say what each of our uh, top rated songs are. Um, mine was about a girl. Quillen's was also about a girl. Trav's uh, top rated song of 1994 was Selling the Drama. So when we put it all together and we try to come to a consensus, our highest average rating was for about a girl. That was 4.58 office chairs slash um, girls slash worlds that were sold by a man. I think so. (laughs) Something like that. Selling the drama came in second with uh, 4.25 braided rat tails. And uh, what's the frequency? Kenneth came in number three with four point zero eight. Uh, I think mine was uh, nudie suits. Oh yeah, it might have been nudie suits. Mm. Okay, lowest rated song was of course it was Zombie by the Cranberries. Two point five eight um, dumpster babies or uh, brown couches or whatever rating we chose. So um, I think that we should we should try to come up with some kind of criteria for a, a Hall of Fame or something similar 
Hall of Fame should be what? Uh, 4.5 and up. It should be a very elite crew. I think we've talked about this before. Are we ever going to have a perfect five? Yeah, I, I don't expect to give a, a single five. It just depends on how inclusive we want to be. Um, mm-hmm. Like, if uh, if Hall of Fame should be something like the best song or two per year, then I think it's got to be like 4.5 or 4.25 and up at the very uh, least. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get to 4.5 again. I don't ever know. again. I, I don't. Either. I don't know. I. I mean. I. I'm. I'm ready and willing to to hand out fives, uh, with enthusiasm and vigor, but, um, I don't know that collectively we'll be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we be generous and just say four and above? No. Okay. <laughs> That's too many songs. This is an elite um, crew. All right, well, we'll compromise and say 4.25 Okay, makes the song a Hall of Famer. Fine. Yeah, that's great. That's great. <laughs> okay, so About a Girl by Nirvana is officially a Hall of Famer, and Selling the Drama by Live is officially a Hall of Famer. Perfect. Okay. Is there a stall of blame? <laughs> there should be. That would be the opposite of the Hall of Fame. Uh-huh. Okay. I was trying I was hoping I could find a word that rhymes with of too, so we could just change every word. <laughs> this is like a horse stall where we yeah. put the song in Our, it um... and just point at it and <laughs> blame it for being bad. Uh-huh. Okay. Good. Yeah, there there should be a stall of blame. Um what did you say zombie was? The 2. zombie 2. Rating, 5, two point five eight. And that was the worst. The yeah, lowest I, score that we had. I think we're going to go significantly lower than that. That's true. I think we're going to go... Maybe under two? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't I don't think that um, Zombie even deserves to be in... Oh, I don't either. That, I should, I should um, clarify so I, I, don't, I don't think so. I agree. I think under two. All right. Under two will be... In the stall. <laughs> in the stall. Okay. Uh, some other stats. We only have two repeat artists so far, so the the idea of giving an artist an average rating doesn't really have any strength yet. But of the two, uh, REM has a an average rating of four point three three, which is pretty great, and that's what we'll leave them with because we're never talking about them again. And Green Day has a three point six seven so far. So if you remember from our very first episode, we're going to be having sort of a running uh, wager over, uh, I think, Bush, Live, and uh, and Green Day, and which one's going to have the highest average and, rating. And also Alanis. Alanis, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, and you too. Uh, there were yeah. a couple more, but we had to um, oh, we picked oh, yeah, horses we in that race. race. Right. My bad. And, right, right. Uh, and those were the horses that we picked. The only other statistic that I took a look into was uh which of us is the most generous raider and which of us is the least generous raider most generous raider is me uh my average rating was 3.8 i'm surprised that your average was that high yeah yeah i think i generally gave i gave pretty high ratings to things i think the lowest 
lowest that I gave was probably a three or maybe even a 3.5. Um, this is really bizarre. You two are tied for least generous raider with 3.409. You both have the exact same average. Huh. Yeah. I don't know what I think about that. About being tied or about uh, being less generous? Being as stingy as Quillen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like... uh, being more positive in your opinions about pop culture things has been a project for either of you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, that's a good question for the longest time. I think I was just so skeptical about everything and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, cynical and dismissive and everything like that. And I think there's just been this just general sort of wave of positivity when it comes to those things recently where, um, it's a little bit infectious where it's just sort of like, mm. just, just lighten up, man, lighten mm-hmm. up and enjoy it and, uh, find something to like about it. And every time I am able to do that, I'm really glad I, I do. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I feel like I am more open and accepting of, um, different, styles and genres and things like that than I've ever been in my life. Um, but I still tend to be, I think, picky in each Mm -hmm. of those like genres or styles. Like, so I, I don't know. It's tricky for me. I, I've definitely gotten to a point where I feel like I don't, um, like look down on people or, you know, anything like that when I disagree. Like, I feel like I can't remember the last time I've had a legit, like, debate or, you know, argument about an art, you know, a piece of art. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, I feel like you like what you like, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. That is awesome, and I am absolutely not interested in trying to convince you otherwise or make you feel bad about what you like or dislike. Like, you know, I we don't have time for that kind of negativity anymore. I mean, I think criticism is, uh, okay. Um, but you know, without being a dick about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, 13 or 14 years ago, I think that we really bonded over, uh, talking really harshly about music that we didn't like. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think that, uh, I probably used to engage in a lot of that. And I have definitely made an effort just in general to think less harsh Mm -hmm. thoughts about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's been, that's been kind of a journey. Mm -hmm. I think all Mm -hmm. of us have gone through to some degree. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we skipped out on part of this year by starting in April. There are uh, a handful of songs we didn't get to talk about. I'm curious if you have anything to say about them. These are the 1994 number ones that came before Kurt Cobain's death. So we've got Daughter by Pearl Jam, Found Out About You by Gin Blossoms, All Apologies by Nirvana, Loser by Beck, 
Mm, 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 by Crash Test Dummies and God by Tori Amos. Anything that you're uh, you're you're itching to say about any of these songs? I think we all mostly agreed uh, when we talked about um, about a girl that all apologies is incredible, and uh, found out about you by Gin Blossoms is awesome. Um, I think that uh, Loser would have been a fun song to talk about. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a fine batch of songs. I'm unfamiliar with God by Tori Amos. Or in general. <laughs> Very unfamiliar with God. <laughs> um, I think all of the songs are very good. Um, Found Out About You would have been a five-star song for me. Mm. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, for sure. I will say that that is a possibility for me as well. For Found Out About You? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> would Get either it? of you have gone for gone to five for all apologies? No. Oh, uh may yeah, maybe. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I agree though that that loser would have been really fun to discuss too, mm-hmm. though. Um I don't know what I would have like how I would have felt about it. Yeah. Uh but it would have been fun, I think, to that would have been a fun one yeah. to talk about. Mellow Gold's interesting. Um Odelay is interesting. Do we talk about where it's at? Is that a number one song? I don't think it is. I don't think about so. what? Uh where well, it's at. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think we'll be talking about any Beck. Yeah. I have I've multiple times on this podcast during recording said we're not going to talk about a band and then it's turned out that I'm wrong. <laughs> but um I think it's Everclear and Foo Fighters are the two bands I've done that with so yeah. far. But uh I'm fairly confident we won't be talking about Beck. Yeah, I I agree. I would love talking about uh I think probably just Jackass. The show? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we should definitely do a Jackass episode. Yeah, we should do right. a jackass podcast. Talk about our favorite, favorite stunts. <laughs> <laughs> jackass is great. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything particular to say about any of them, other than um, all apologies probably would have been my my top song of the year, th- uh, or my top number one of the year. I do like all apologies better than about a girl, and yeah. I gave about a girl a perfect rating. So I think that that song is pretty much perfect. Uh, I like Daughter quite a bit. I've been realizing lately, I, I didn't really listen to a lot of Pearl Jam back in the day. And uh, I like Pearl Jam's super raw punk songs, and I like their super treacly ballads, and I don't necessarily like any of the stuff in between. But Daughter is like, that's kind of the sweet Pearl Jam spot for me. Like it a lot. Daughter's pretty okay. I don't hate it. Daughter's great. Yeah. I have a question about all apologies, actually. Uh huh. Do you think that when Kurt said everyone is gay, that he knew what he was talking about? And he was so far ahead of everyone else as far as like uh, sexuality being a spectrum. Mm. Do you think he knew what he was talking about or he just thought that was like a cool line? I think he likes um, irony and contradiction and. Uh... I think it's just kind of a pose. I don't think that there's any particular serious thought behind it. Okay. 
All right. Well, the other thing that we figured we'd talk about about 1994 is to take a break from the modern rock charts and just talk about our five favorite albums from 1994. So um, we're going to go a little off brand here and talk about some, there's some indie rock, there's some hip hop, and there's some, uh, there's some alternative radio rock. Let's go around and say our number fives, and then we'll go around and say our number fours, and so yeah. on and so forth. Now these are these are uh, just to be clear albums, our five favorite albums from that year. Now, right? Like at this, like overall now. at this stage yes. of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure I did the assignment right. Uh, I'll go first, I guess. Uh, my number five uh, favorite album of 1994 is um, For Your Own Special Sweetheart by Jawbox. was released um uh by atlantic records um a major label release uh the band was on um discord uh records out of washington dc originally um jawbox um um is uh the project of jay robbins he was like a dc area um guy um, originally in the uh, government issue band, um, hardcore band. Um, yeah, they're, uh, I guess people consider them emo. Um, I don't uh, I don't really consider them emo. I think there are elements of that sound, um, but uh, it's more just like melodic, uh, like melodic post-hardcore, I guess people can also call it, but like just indie rock. Uh, catchy songs, intricate um, arrangements, um, really good melodies. Um, cool thing about Jay Robbins, he's a record producer, engineer, um, and he's recorded a lot of like, I think a lot of, a few of our uh, favorite uh, 90s records. Um, he recorded Nothing Feels Good by The Promise Ring, uh, Frame and Canvas by Braid, um he oh, wow. co-produced um emergency and i and change by the dismemberment plan uh with uh chad clark from beauty pill um and uh yeah uh cool stuff uh album recorded by ted nicely um which is interesting um previously ted nicely had recorded um Tommy Keene, Fugazi, The Dead Milkmen, Girls Against Boys, Shudder to Think. Um, and uh, uh, it, it just an interesting major label, uh, like, release move, like, sign to a major label and, and record with uh, an indie guy. Um, I th- thought that was a pretty interesting tidbit that I, I found out about this record. Yeah, I listened to it for the first time this awesome. week. I I had always been told um I was a big at the drive-in fan 
um, in, you know, I guess in high school. And I had always been told like, oh, if you like at the drive-in, you know, you should listen to For Your Own Special Sweetheart mm-hmm. by Jawbox. And I think for a long time, I was confused between Jawbox yeah, and Jawbreaker. Sure. Um, but I, I really liked it. I, I really liked... Uh, how aggressive it was. I liked the drums and the bass a lot. I liked yep, the bass yep. tone. Um, I, I understood the at the drive-in connection, but I, I you know, I, it was somewhat superficial, but I, I think that um, I understand why it was recommended in connection with that. Yeah, it makes sense. That. I mean, they're definitely poppier, but uh, Jawbox is poppier for yeah. sure, but yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I did feel like sometimes the vocals had a little sure. bit of an emo touch that I wasn't totally into, and it wasn't like a like mm-hmm. a screamo in in that sense. It was more like and just it had something to do with just the melodies and the and the vocal delivery. But I'll be I'll be Sweet. listening to it again for awesome. sure. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'd only really casually sort of listened to it in the past, and I was like familiar with was it savory, savory. that was like yeah. kind of pushed yeah. as the single. How much of a push did did it get? Was there a video for it? Uh, you know? I believe that there was, and um, I don't know if they played it um, on national television at the time, but when they um, reissued the album a few years ago and they did like a reunion tour, they played whatever the show that Jimmy Fallon hosts, I think, or one yeah, of those. Yeah. They played Savory on that. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it sounded great. Yeah. Um, strong like dc it was really cool to hear like a major label like dc sound album yeah agree yeah yeah um it's yeah, you know it's cool. similar like hints of fugazi and stuff like that but um more melodic you know, and, brightened up with yeah, yeah yeah is is jawbox your favorite jay robbins project Did oh you like yeah. burning airlines more uh i no? have only listened to um I think Mission Control by Burning Airlines. I think there's another record, Identicate, um, that I have yeah, not yeah. listened to. Um, I, you know, I really like uh, that Burning Airlines album, um, but I have spent more time with Jawbox. They have more albums, and uh, mm-hmm. I the early Jawbox stuff I think is not very good and poorly produced. Um, but the last two Jawbox records are good. Um, and this uh, this album is probably my favorite Jay Robbins written um, music for sure. Cool. I remember there were a couple of songs on the Office of Future Plans album that I really liked. That's his newest or latest. Yeah, uh, band, newest. I, think. I mean, it was from this decade, mm-hmm. but I I don't twenty thirteen or something like that. Yeah, right yeah, years and years ago. But I remember there were a couple of songs that I really loved on that, and I could you can kind of just like. Um, his vocals are distinctive. Like you can yes. kind of, you can kind of pick up. You on can them. tell it's him for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But really cool, cool, cool pick. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trav, what did you pick for number so, five? So, um, I don't know why I feel the need to sort of qualify this, but I do. Um. I know why you need, <laughs> yeah, I, know I mean why when I say it everybody will, everybody will know. <laughs> but like with you know being in quarantine and all of the uncertainty and everything that everyone's feeling like it's really pushed me back to like um albums that are comforting and uh feelings of like nostalgia and things like that 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 
just sort of put me at ease. And uh, it's it's sort of driven me back to like, um, you know, broader sort of sub albums that are more popular. And so my fifth favorite album of 1994 is Cracked Rear View by Hootie and the Blowfish. When the people in the church, they tell me, oh, my brother, you don't walk like Matthew, you don't talk like Matthew, go back to Africa, I just don't understand. Drowning in a sea of tears. Hatred, trying to hide your fear. I know that that's seems it seems like a punchline that it's a jokey thing but i don't know why if you listen to it in a vacuum it's just awesome like there's no bad songs you could argue that maybe it's a little bland but you know i mean i think if anything it was like the thing that uh adam duritz was concerned about the overexposure like that hootie and the blowfish had had um sort of gone through at the time um, that kind of drove everybody away from them. And by the time the follow-up album came up, you know, nobody really wanted to hear it. But uh, I think Cracked Review is awesome. I think, you know, start to finish, like everything on it's great. The singles, I don't know. What, what were your experiences with it? The singles are incredible. The singles are incredible, yeah. So um, my grandmother bought me both Hootie albums sometime around uh, when Fairweather Johnson came out unsolicited um, because my mom's family lives in South Carolina and they're a South Carolina band. And so my grandma was just like, this is a South Carolina band. And she, she sent me both of those CDs or gave them to me for Christmas. I don't remember. Um, Which is a pretty unique thing to have had her pick out those, those albums for me. And I don't think that I had a a super personal relationship with any of them. Um, I did definitely like Cracked Rearview. I don't have many memories of Fairweather Johnson, so I'll have to look back when we get a little bit closer to that. You know, the singles are are good. I I guess I didn't particularly care for many of the album tracks then, and I I don't think I really do now either. But. Um, I'm with Quillen. Time made a big so impact good. on me when so I was good. younger. <laughs> um, now coming back to it, um, you know, it is free of some of that. Like Travis was saying, that kind of that baggage of being a late '90s punchline. Um, it's so unusual to hear. This is a really specific musical insight, but it's so unusual to hear a singer singing vibrato in rock music. That's just like the. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like something we associate with, I guess, you know, maybe a little bit more with um, just non-pop music. I mean, but maybe soul music to some degree and with... System uh, of a down. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, it's a sound that was so unfashionable at the time that it's kind of remarkable that Hootie had the success that they had. And uh, I find that I'm increasingly drawn to that sound now i just find it so soulful and i i think maybe as i'm growing older and mellowing out i feel like um there's an emotionality to that kind of singing that i i maybe am i'm just drawn to right now and i i you know the other thing that 
we are not going to run into a whole lot on this podcast is it is refreshing to hear a black perspective on modern rock and um, particularly on the, I think probably just one song where he explicitly addresses that on yeah, Drowning. Yeah, that's great. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I, I appreciated that a lot this yeah. time around. Yeah, good. I think I think they were kind of undermined by like having a funny name. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, sure, like they were not taken seriously because of that. But um, I loved then and I love now. Like the total like lack of image and complete like unpretentiousness of the band like those are just like some dudes getting together to jam Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah is it the hold my hand video where they're like playing basketball in their khakis am i remembering (laughs) that right i think so we i I might be mixing it up with something though because we watched that laser disc yeah um at the bong mountain house (laughs) um yeah the uh, of like a concert video and it was just great. They're walking around and, you know, shooting hoops and, uh, in between, you know, they were splicing footage of them shooting hoops in between, uh, uh, songs. Yeah. They were a band that loved Uh sports. That is. Yeah. (laughs) And the dolphins, but they weren't like bros. Like they didn't seem like bros, you know? Yeah. uh, Hey, do you think, um, in letter cry when, uh, Darius said, she went back she went in the back to get high and i sat down on the couch and cried he was crying because the girl got high <laughs> cuz i definitely thought that in like 7th grade he was so upset that her yeah, friend was I... on drugs <laughs> i don't think that that might not be far off <laughs> i hope not i hope i'm wrong i hope 7th grade me was wrong I feel like there's no questioning that that guy has got to live a very wholesome life. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you never really know. He just, but... I mean, yeah, everything about it seems pretty uh, pretty bright and upbeat. Yeah. Yeah. So, Al, what's your number five? Well, my number five is uh, Nirvana Unplugged, MTV Unplugged. And we just recently talked about that in great depth. So um, I don't have a whole lot to say about it other than, you know, I think revisiting it, um, I realized that my all my favorite bits are really the covers. I I think the the most fun part of that is getting an insight into a really talented musician who has good taste, interesting taste, and getting some insight into his fandom. All I have to do with The results are always perfect But that's all the news Would you like to hear my voice Sprinkle with emotion And it's your birth I can't see I think that's really what's fun about that album and um, the Bowie cover, the Meat Puppets covers, the Vaseline cover. Um, wait, is there more than one Vaseline cover? No. No, no, there are two Vaseline's covers on Incesticide, but um, uh, the Lead Belly cover, all of those are, are really great. And uh, I actually just recently, I had already told you guys this, but I, um, I bought the reissue on vinyl. Um, 
specifically because I think I realized how much I liked that album after we did an episode on it. So that's that. That's that for uh, Nirvana Unplugged. How about number four, Quill? Uh, My number four favorite album of 1994 is Illmatic by Nas. contacted i attract clientele my mic check is life or death breathing the sniper's breath i exhale the yellow smoke a buddha through righteous steps deep like the shining sparkle like a diamond sneaker uzi on the island and my army jacket lining hit the earth like a comet invasion Nazis is like the afro situation um, half man half i am a white dude who is trying of uh trying to understand hip-hop um i, I i've gotten into hip-hop quite a bit the last few years um a lot of my favorite albums over the last few years have been hip-hop albums and um it's something that i'm becoming pretty quickly obsessed with and uh when i was like when this first started back in like with i mean for me it was uh to pimp a butterfly um in 2015 um my brother was like oh you gotta listen to elmatic by nas and um yeah uh, it's incredible um i am ashamed that it's taken me so long to listen to a classic um album um the production's awesome um great motown and soul samples and um the best moment is the closer with the michael jackson sample uh human nature it's just such Uh a sweet sweet sample it's such a great song um and uh yeah, I, I'm uh, a relative uh, noob uh, to this stuff, and it's been really, really fun. Um, it, it's really uh, expanded and, and enhanced my um, music listening habits uh, over the past few years. It's really opened up a world of just, like, never-ending awesomeness that I just am so excited to be discovering. And, uh, yeah, it's uh i am talking more about the effects of the album than the actual album um but uh i don't want to go on for for forever um sure yeah th- this is a great album i i really like this album and i had not listened to it in a long time so i was really glad to revisit it and um you know i i really like uh a lot of the best hip hop production from mm-hmm. this time which is like this very spare often just like mm-hmm. piano mm-hmm. um bass and drums and uh the the production in this album is great but the you know the thing that i was really struck by is just the flow is mm-hmm. very musical and my favorite song remained the same from the first time that i've ever heard this uh one time mm-hmm. for your mind just that kind of like that like slow triplet or like laid back triplet kind of like I guess swinging mm-hmm. triplet maybe kind of feel um uh, of the uh the flow on that track is is really great so I was really happy to listen uh, to this again. something that uh stuck out to me too about it is it's 10 songs and not even 40 minutes long and like that's a really yeah. great uh length for a hip-hop album like I feel like at the time uh hip-hop albums were you know 20 songs with like skits and stuff in between and all over an hour long and yeah just like kind of overwhelming and this is just like a really great 
in and out. Um, I I just love that about it. That's an uh, extra thing that uh, I think makes the album really sweet. Yeah, super yes. focused. Yep. I appreciate that too. I guess I was kind of surprised that you were so into it. I I know, hmm. like I appreciate your explanation um, about what you liked about it. Um, because I, I felt like the samples and like musically, it was, it was kind of boring despite Mm. being like this jazzy, you know, sort of like hip hop album, which is great, um, as a style, but like, it just was not, it was not hitting me. And Mm. I, I know, you know, I've tried it a a few different times Mm. because it's such an you know important album mm-hmm. and everything like that it just never really like clicks with mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. i also felt like the kick was like super loud and bassy definitely definitely too? like on like every loud. song yeah yeah do you do you like that part of it that aspect it, of it, it doesn't make a difference to me in the context okay. of the album um i feel like a lot of um the hip-hop that i like generally the beats are kind of buried a little bit but i i'm totally into the whole like you know the the new modern underground hip-hop sound which is that like murky super murky um money yeah, production woozy. like uh, yeah, yeah. you know on some rap songs and mm-hmm. um and like the beats are barely there really um so it it definitely that sticks out like i think not only the kick but just the the beats the drums are very loud very upfront on uh on this album yeah 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 we're like a year off of like the wu-tang album and and the odb album Mm. and uh and midnight marauders Mm -hmm. um which Mm -hmm. are like similar in their style i think to Illmatic, I think mm. you know me being. Like, I, I would say that uh, Thirty Six Chambers has a similar style to okay. Illmatic. Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I'm I'm drawn to those albums. Mm-hmm. Those are those grab me. Um, but yeah, I struggle a little bit with Illmatic still. Um, so I don't know. I I just guess I require more conversation about it. I looked through, you know, 1994, and my favorite hip hop album in '94 was Blowout Call. I've, I, that's uh, on my list. I gotta check that. Which out. Which is great. Yeah, I, I've gotta yeah. check that out. But it's on my list. You know, I mean, like, it's not one of my five favorite albums. Mm-hmm. It's probably one of my, you know, ten or fifteen. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I really, really enjoy mm-hmm. putting it on every time I do. I, I made like a separate list of like 1994 albums that I need to check out, and that's that's on there yeah. for sure. All right, Chad, what was your number four? Uh, this Perfect World by <laughs> Freedy Johnston. Um, Fairweather Johnston. Fairweather Johnston. <laughs> Um, this guy is, uh, he's from Kansas and, um, his story, I guess, goes that he, um, ordered his first guitar at 16, like a mail order and, um, just was in a small town and didn't have access to anything. And at some point he had a friend drive him 35 miles to the nearest record store to buy an Elvis Costello album that he'd read about 
and that got him hooked on everything. And um, after he finished college, he went to New York City uh, to become an artist and um, started recording albums. And um, I think by his second album, he had sold off some of his family's farmland uh, to finance the second album. Uh, but um, yeah, this perfect world is great. Um, I think the centerpiece is obviously the first song, the uh, uh, Bad Reputation. Oh, yeah. Which is a perfect song. Perfect song. Um, and yep. I think everything that kind of comes after it just kind of like follows in its shadow. It just like lines up perfectly. If I had only heard that song and I went and bought the album, uh, the rest of the album is exactly what I would want mm. it to be. There's incredible guitar playing, great melodies, great songwriting that's very simple. And um, yeah, just really love it. Evie's Tears is awesome. Yeah. Awesome yeah, I mean, song. you could say <laughs> I don't have anything else to add when you you could name any song in the album and be like, yeah, that song's great. Great song. Um, yeah, I listened for the first time and I think you said it just right. It's like uh, it's, you're so frequently used to the, the experience of listening to a single from an album from this time period and putting the album on and just like, you know, often by track two thinking like, oh, they don't know what <laughs> I want to hear from them. Um <laughs> But that's not the case with this record. It was immediately like I was uh, totally won over after uh, a handful of songs. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, great. Freddy. Freddy. All right, well, my number four was Live Through This by Hole. think about it a little bit because I, I I honestly wasn't sure that I was really familiar enough with the album to say that it was this high because I I, I listen to the singles very frequently and I don't necessarily listen to the record all the way through very frequently but um, my wife was a big Courtney Love devotee in, uh, in her youth and um, I have always had Courtney Love around in my pop culture life as an adult. And uh, I went back through just to make sure that I really loved it. And I, I really do. So first of all, I have a lot to say about this record. Um, I think that these are three of the best singles of 1994. Um, Violet, Miss World, Doll Parts. Um, Doll Parts might be just the most 90s, in a, in a, in a great way, one of the most 90s, songs I can think of. I really love it. I think that Courtney Love is at least as compelling a public figure as as Kurt Cobain is. Um, And in a lot of ways, I actually think that she's a lot cooler than Kurt Cobain. I think she's a more interesting lyricist. She's not as consistent a songwriter as Kurt Cobain. Um, You know, I think that uh, I don't really need to go in depth about defending Courtney Love's reputation because I think that some other people have done that very skillfully. But obviously during the 90s, um, Courtney Love was under a lot of attacks in the press and from Nirvana fans. A lot of that stemming from the uh, Lynn Hirschberg 
feature in Rolling Stone that suggested that she was taking heroin while pregnant and things like that. And um, I think a lot of people have defended Courtney from double standards, you know, the idea of double standards or her being a Yoko figure. Um, you know, rock fans love self-destructive addicts uh, when they're male. And in this case, we have an instance of a self-destructive addict who is female and was just trashed in the media. Um, you know, when it comes to like press about her parenting skills and things like that, I'm definitely struck by, I had to take a moment and look up how many kids uh, Mick Jagger has on Wikipedia. And uh, according to the historical record, he has at least eight children and we never hear about whether Mick Jagger is a good father to mm-hmm. his, mm-hmm. his, his oats that he has sown across the world over the decades. Um, and you know, this is biographical information, so I guess it, it might not necessarily seem important, but I do feel like this all goes into Courtney Love's narrative and into her lyrics. And, um, it's all perfect for her, I think really fascinating way of sort of going to war with notions about femininity while also um being playful about her own and aware i think of her own contradictions in relationship with uh femininity you know wanting to be the girl with the with the most cake um uh you know anytime that people talk about yoko ono i always just immediately think like if your friend is bringing Yoko Ono around all the time, um, talk to your friend and say, you're kind of not holding up your end of the bargain in our friendship. And this is disappointing me. And your friend should respond to your needs. And if your friend doesn't respond to your needs, that's not Yoko's fault. That's John's fault. Uh, anyway, that's on and on and on and on. A couple other Courtney Love greatest hits. Um, after Kurt's suicide, she read Kurt's suicide note to 7,000 people in a Seattle arena. And people love to quote Kurt Cobain's quote of Neil Young, which is, it's better to burn out than to fade away. And... Courtney Love prefaced that as she was reading it to all of Kurt Cobain's fans. Uh, she said, and don't remember this because it's a f***ing lie. And um, I, uh, yeah, I, I love Courtney Love. Um, the, uh, the, the, the final thing that I have to say about her is I just read this quote that she was saying to sort of like she was being interviewed about groupies on MTV in 1994. And she turned to the female viewers that were watching and said, get some guitars. This is the nineties. Empower yourself. (laughs) So yeah, I like live through this a lot and I like Courtney love a lot. And, uh, that's my number. I look forward to, um, I tried getting into live through this a few years ago and and I liked it. I liked it at the time. Um, but revisiting it, uh, when I was prepping my list, I just went through and listened to all the 1994 albums I could think of that I like. 
and revisiting live through this uh it was so much better than i remember even just from a few years ago it's really good um and yeah miss world uh is awesome single it's so good um i look forward i really look forward i've never listened to celebrity skin um the whole album and i uh-huh. i think the title track is a number one i believe that we get to which excites me i love that song and um i'm Mm -hmm. excited to spend time with that album for sure great i'm excited too i think this is the best album we're going to talk about today uh despite the fact that it's not in my top five um (laughs) it's objectively the best it is so great um and you so much of what you said about courtney is uh is spot on and i i appreciate the fact that you said it, I mean, you, you said it better than I could have. So, um, you know, she, she just took so much shit in the nineties for being like, for killing Kurt, for, uh-huh. for ripping him off mm-hmm. for, you know, for having Kurt writer songs and Billy writer songs and all this stuff, by the way, do you know who implied that men wrote Courtney Love songs? It was Dave Grohl. Shut up. Really? It was. was it really? It absolutely oh, was. Him. that scumbag yes dave grohl um yeah we're really going after dave yeah grohl the worst. This podcast. no i am i'll 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 take the reins on that that's that's my goal is yeah. to take him down by the end of this he sucks. <laughs> um but yeah she just like you said i think she's probably cooler than kurt and i think kurt thought she was cooler than kurt mm. um because she was like the scene veteran when like he, you know, when Nirvana started coming around, like she was like the cool sort of like figure. Um, and rightfully so, like lyrically fantastic. Like she was writing great, great stuff. Um, and yeah, like Colin said, I guess I haven't heard Celebrity Skin either um, because I was always a little bit scared off by it. There's something, you know, I know I know she was there's an angle to what, what she was doing there. And, um, I just haven't been drawn to explore that yet. Um, I, I do look mm-hmm. forward to getting to that point. Um, but I don't think it'll be as, as perfect as live through this. Sarah, my, my wife, Sarah has described it to me as like pretty much a jangle pop album. Like, yeah, just like uh-huh. really, really chimey jangly guitars through the whole I know thing. Malibu's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and awful, awful is a really wonderful mm. single too. I'm I'm excited yeah. about it. I'm ex- really excited to get to that album. Cool. All right, Quill. What's your number three? Ah, uh, my number three. I'll try to be brief here. Uh, we're we're. <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a fair amount going, to say about this we're one too. We're going hard on all of these, harder than I expected. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my number three is such a boring choice, but um. Yeah, it is what it is, I guess. Um, it is uh, Weezer's first self-titled album, The Blue Album. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody who knows about this 
Uh, <laughs> it's their first album produced by Rick Ocasek of the Cars. Um, the three singles, Buddy Holly, Undone, The Sweater Song, and Say It and So, are without question the worst songs on the album. Um, every other song is great. Um, particularly The World Has Turned and Left Me Here, Surfax America, uh-huh. In the Garage, and Holiday. Yeah, yeah. I love those jams. Yeah. Uh, I... I don't think I cared for um, Weezer when this first came out. Um, I got into the Blue Album, I think, my freshman year of high school, like the fall of my freshman year of high school, so that would have been 98. Um, And what drew me to it, what I was surprised by was the layers of acoustic guitar um, throughout some of the songs. Yes. That was really surprising to me. I did not expect that at the time and it is such a nice like that is definitely the sneaky like mvp of the album the acoustic guitar on many especially on um the world has turned and left me here it's beautiful yes um yeah oh and uh the crazy guitar part on surfax america is amazing too like uh I don't know what else to say. It's a bunch of insincere, like basically joke songs about being an outsider and a dweeb. And, um, uh, but just the, the fuzzy guitars, the crazy guitar solos, guitar harmonies, all the vocal harmonies, everything about it. It's very formative for me. Very important in my youth. Um, very influential to my tastes. Um, at a really, um, uh, interesting time in life, you know, early high school. Um, I think that if you took Pinkerton and subtracted Butterfly from it, it would be the better album. But throw on Butterfly, which inflicts damage on that album, and I hate Butterfly. And hmm. we'll have to talk uh, about that yeah, more in 1996. Uh, but minus butterfly, I think I would say that I like Pinkerton more. But as it is, I think Blue Album is my preferred Weezer album of the two. Um, and okay. yeah, I'll leave it at that. I think uh, you mentioned the acoustic guitar as being like the secret weapon, and I think you're absolutely right about that. I think like mm. just behind that, they do these variations of power chords that aren't just like straight up like power chords. Like there's a little bit something to them. Well, they're tuned down like a, it might be tuned down half a step, Uh but it's also like, they're playing like, like a fifth underneath Mm. of what they're, what they're normally doing, which makes it sound even heavier. Yeah. And like sort of maybe the, like adds a harmonic quality to to it. Yeah. They're more than just like power chords, right? Like they're, they're fuller chords. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like some of them have a like an add nine on there, things mm-hmm. like that. It's it's definitely yeah. a t- style of guitar playing that I think was influential on, like, oh yeah, pop punk and indie rock and stuff moving forward. Like, yeah, Th- this album was so formative for me as a musician, just like it was for so many people, I think, and. Um, I was I was really tempted. I it, I almost ended up putting it at my number five. And, uh, it's just not, it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit stuck Mm. in my past and I can't figure out a way to, um, to reintroduce it as something that's relevant to my, my present. I never feel like listening to this album. I will say that. Like I never feel like listening to it. (laughs) 
Yeah, Quillen, we had the 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 unique opportunity to perform a Weezer cover set. I don't know that many mm. people have ever mm. had the opportunity to do that in this country to play Weezer songs on a stage. <laughs> Nobody ever covers them. But um <laughs> that killed them for me. That mm. was it. I mean, studying mm. those songs to learn to perform them. And then like uh I, I just haven't gone back since. Mm. That's fair. It's probably been five years. That's fair. And I, I just can't I can't do it. It that was such a bad move. Huh. I had the same experience with Spoon. Oh shit. Everybody in the band was like, oh, I I see through it and it's not interesting. Um I, th- I think I'm slowly recovering from well, that, but that can happen. Spoon is more of a studio band anyways. They yeah. are, yeah. yeah. They're yeah. so boring live, IMO. Yeah, I agree. I did want to add also, Quillen, um, Quillen, your picks are remarkably consistent with your tastes since time began. Like, I mean, I, I feel, think Nas I, I is feel different like, than, like, I wouldn't have picked a Nas album, you know? Right. And I was going to add that it has evolved. Mm. Like, if you loved something 10, 20, 30 years ago, you like you lock it in yeah yeah and it doesn't change yeah. and it, I, like i feel like in, in contrast like i feel very fickle about like how i'm like so willing to dismiss things that at one time were really you, important yeah, to me yeah. like this where i'm just like yep nope i'm yeah. i've moved on it's something else um but i think i think seeing this list and you know the the albums you've mentioned and albums that you will mention sort of like you know paint that picture for you and i, I uh, yeah well it. i i think part of that is uh i am to a fault a very nostalgic and sentimental person like i really am super sentimental and attached to things uh in my past and if i get super into something now i'll be attached to it for years and years and years i just am that way i just am really really sentimental and get emotionally attached to things so like yeah. uh yeah if an album is super important to me at especially particularly high school and college like it's hard for me to let you know memories and things like that from from those years go mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't think i live in the past like i'm not like uh you know the if i have a son i'm not going to be like a dad who pushes the son to have all the same experiences that i did and live vicariously through or you know anything like that but yeah yeah you know what i mean like i i just yeah i'm very sentimental yeah good yeah i I like it it that way i love it and i hate it (laughs) 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 all right chav what was your number three my number three uh was (laughs) is an album called ruby vroom by soul coffee by the blue light of live at five and as I drifted off, I heard Al Roker say to me, Dial 1900-4-J-A-N-I-N-E. Janine, I drank you up. This is... An album that I've really come to love in the last few years, probably the last five years or so. Um, 
it was something that kind of hit for me when uh when it first came out and um and then i just completely forgot about it for a long time and then it popped back up for whatever reason and um yeah really clung to it um i think it's like just sort of toeing the line on being like too too much g love in the special sauce or like uh-huh. <laughs> a little too funky but like not like criminally funky like w- white guy funky like yeah so i i heard it when i was listening to it for the first time i heard it as a like a serious forerunner to cake okay that's not, uh, yeah. not in a bad way not yeah. in a bad way well no, i we'll know talk it's, about it's, cake. it's hard not to it's hard not to think that though right <laughs> somebody yeah. says cake and it's like oh yeah okay but cake I mean, has like some is, outstanding songs, right? Is cake really that bad? If we reevaluate like what no. they've done, probably not. But you think about cake and you're like, Oh, this asshole in the fedora. Right. But like, <laughs> they probably had some cool stuff, but like there's the cake stigma. And yeah. I think, uh, I think, I guess, I guess soul coughing is lucky to maybe not have as much of a stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because, it might be helpful. Um, people might remember the song "Walk Around in Circles," right? Yeah, is, what, is it called just "Circles"? I think so. From El yeah. Oso, I Th- think that was like really, four years later. Was that on El Oso or the one previous? I think it was El Oso, and um, "Irresistible Bliss" was before yeah, that, and yeah. there was a single on that that was sort of big that I can't, I can't think of. Yeah. So before you reminded me of this band. Circles was my that was my reference point, and that, that's a fantastic song. I, I I liked it all along. Um, so yeah, I don't know if maybe maybe listeners will remember that song or not, but so yeah, the things that, that draw me to the song are like uh, it's it's fairly adventurous, fairly experimental, um, willing to kind of toe the line between like it's it's not quite a novelty thing. Um, but it's like, it almost kind of gets there sometimes where they're making some songs that are like almost novelty songs lyrically. Uh, though I think, I think Mike, Mike Dottie was like really writing some incredible lines. Yeah. Like Um, a zip zoom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) no, I mean like. Yeah, just these phrases that he would use over and over. It was like very poetic. Um, I don't, you know, without being like a poet, that sort of thing. Um, and the album ends like super well. My like those two al- those two songs at the end of the album are especially great. Uh, Mr. Bitterness and Janine. Uh, I think Janine is an incredible album closer. Cool. Um. I listened to it for the first time. I thought that it was a bold choice, and I, I thought that it was. Ref- I, I thought it was refreshing. I, I liked it. I liked it. I was. I was glad to listen to it. I did not like it, but I. Uh, <laughs> you. You know. I. I. You've. Uh, I recognized when you got into them, and was cool with it. Um. I. I support. <laughs> he tolerated. He tolerated. I support that you. you. Liked it. Uh. No, Trev. I think, and I. I'm pretty sure I told you. My. My brother was really into. Yeah. Um. Soul coughing. Shout out to Jason. Um. He. Can we get Jason on this podcast? <laughs> he. I'm sure would love that. Uh. He. I remember him having irresistible bliss and listening to that in the car with him. Um. Did have you spent time with that or also or 
I I got Irresistible Bliss from BMG, and it didn't really click with me. Like I I don't even think I I, I remember much of it to be like honest. back then. And I listened you did. to it a handful of times. Right? Yeah. And you yeah. haven't gone back. No. No. Was there a moment that you like hated? Because like honestly, like I wouldn't be surprised if there were like. Like I, I think this is a fairly like divisive sort of album where it could be like terrible to some people. Uh, um, are you talking about Ruby Ruby Vroom? Yeah, yeah. I, were there moments where you're like, oh my god? Definitely. Yes. <laughs> I want to know what they are. Uh, I don't like. I don't like the closer. You don't? No. no. You. Oh no, that's wrong. I don't. That's right. I made a note of disliking uh, the song "Bust to Beelzebub." <laughs> I thought that might be might be, which one. is really sounds so much like the worst song on Cake's Fashion Nugget, which is uh, "The Land of Race Car Yayas," <laughs> which is also sort of like beat poetry <laughs> over, uh, you know, stand up bass and and yeah. funky drums. Not the uh, the working sample. <laughs> the no, 1930s not the working, working sa- like factory line sample um no mm. yeah that's fine that's fine yeah i mean i i sort of expected that and that's yeah i i uh i i i don't i don't care no Trent, i'll embrace <laughs> yes please do i'm so happy that you find enjoyment uh yeah but I wanted to hear an honest answer too, because I knew I that there was like you. some things that are like kind of out yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. All right. My number three album was Whip Smart by Liz Fair. Um, Liz Fair was a Chicago musician who had um, created this batch of tapes called the Girly Sound Tapes that circulated around and got attention. And then she started working with some musicians to kind of um, polish them up and release the, the, the classic album Exile uh, in Guyville in 93. Uh, yeah. Is that 93, Trevor? 92. Clones I think it's 93. Clones 93. 93. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. It sounds good. Um, so this is her follow-up, Whip Smart, and it's, to some degree, it is sort of like some leftovers from the Girly Sound Tapes. Even her third album is some leftovers from the Girly Sound Tapes. But um, it is, uh, it has, I think, probably three of my favorite songs of hers. Um, I love the opener, Chopsticks, which is a... yes. Yeah, um, is is probably about as good of an indicator of what Liz Fair does as anything else. It's um, it's got sort of a dejected tone. It's very sexually frank and also funny. Um, the lyrics are are fantastic, and I also um, I don't know if this stands out to other people. The song Nashville is a song that I really really love. It's kind of um um. 
it's a, a sort of an atmospheric ballad. And then uh, the album closer, May Queen, is just kind of a killer pop song. Great melodies, great guitars. I don't love every song on this album, but when I do love it, I really, really love it. So that's Whip Smart by Liz Fair, and it's great. Chopsticks, Chopsticks uh, does the, like, musically is is basically a variation on the, the classical piano, Chopsticks, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty great. I noticed that, yeah. Um, I learned three things from this album. <clears throat> the uh-huh. first is that you've got to have fear in your heart. Mm-hmm. The second is that I won't decorate my love. And the third is when they do the double Dutch, that's them dancing. <laughs> yeah. She went yeah. so hard on repeating lines. Mm. Yeah. So hard. Like those three things she repeated like, like 30 times. Yeah. Like, and it was tough to get through. That. Across different songs? It was songs? a chore. Y- yeah. No, no. Like it was like, that was the chorus mm. and it mm-hmm. just happened 32 times or 64 times or 128 times. (laughs) And it just, it was, it was punishing by the, by the time the the whip smart came up. um, It was really, it was really tough. The first, I think, uh, I think four songs on the album though are incredible. I think supernova is such an awesome single. Um, See, I don't particularly care for Supernova. Really, I think it's great. Yeah. I think it just jumps out as like like it just sounds different than than everything else. Um, well, I could listen to her sing that "I won't decorate my love" line. I could listen to that all day long. Yeah, it's it's weird because I'm not like averse to like um that repetitive sort of thing, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't clicking here. And I, you know, I love exile and Guyville. I think it's wonderful. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, even white chocolate space egg, um, is interesting. And I think also whip smart is super interesting. And I wanted this to be an album where I was like, this is, I'm going to spend some time really like bonding with it and connecting Mm -hmm. with it. Um, but it was like, yeah, it was kind of a chore for some of the repetitive parts. And I don't know why, but for some reason prior to this, it struck me as like kind of a druggy thing. I don't know if she was ever a druggy sort of person, but like that repetitive quality um, hmm. always strikes me as like a, a like a drug music kind of uh, kind of thing. I don't know. I um, I fully expected to immediately love this album and. uh yeah, I don't know. I I listened to it and it was good. Um, but it just like nothing really stuck out to me like on Exile and Guyville, where there's just so many classic and amazing moments. Um, mm-hmm. I I I'll spend more time with it for sure. Um, I never give up on an album after a single lesson, so um, mm-hmm. I'll definitely spend time with it, and I hope that I come around on it. Um, there was nothing to me, nothing like bad or uh anything like that it was just like nothing just immediately jumped out at at me yet uh what was your number two quill my number two um my my second favorite album of 1994 is sunny day real estate's diary 
widely considered um, defining album of Emo's second wave. Um, yeah, Seattle band, um, Jeremy Enoch, uh, Dan Horner, Nate Mendel, and uh, William Goldsmith. Nate Mendel played bass, William Goldsmith played drums. Both went on to play in the Foo Fighters. Um, recorded The Color and the Shape. And Dave Grohl kicked William Goldsmith out and re-recorded all of his drums except for one song. That bastard. <laughs> Jesus. He is an asshole. <laughs> Dave Grohl forever and a day. Uh, granted, uh, William Goldsmith's drumming on Diary is something. Um he is an incredible drummer who on this Sunny Day Real Estate album overplayed so much, <laughs> so many fills, way too many fills. Um, but he, he toned it down uh, on the on the following albums and, and is, is an incredible drummer. Um, but yeah, Dave Grohl sucks. Um, another, another knock against Dave Grohl. Um, anyways, Diary uh, was... Uh, recorded by Brad Wood, um, who also recorded um, XL and Guyville um, and uh, Whip Smart and also White uh, Space Chocolate Egg or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Brad Wood's all over yeah, everything he, that I've been listening to recently. He was really active and really like involved with a lot of great he stuff. He recorded the list of bands uh, that I wrote down that or typed that he recorded um uh, in their early, the early stage of their careers, Liz Fair, Sunny Day Real Estate, of course, uh, The Sea and Cake, um, Tortoise, Hum, um, Seam and Eleventh Dream Day, which are bands that I am unfamiliar with but are on my list of bands. Is this I like want a Chicago thing between Hum and Sea and uh, Cake? Well, I, and I'm Liz assuming Fair so, and... and Liz Fair too. Like, yeah. I'm assuming so, yeah. Um, yeah. He also recorded A Door by Smashing Pumpkins. Um, which Ooh. I didn't realize. Um, Diary Ooh. is a <laughs> dynamic emo album. Um, loud, quiet, loud, um, impassioned uh, vocals that are, uh, unlike the genre at the time, uh, Jeremy Enoch sang in tune. Um, his voice is definitely... Uh, uh, maybe a um an acquired taste, but uh it only gets better uh with time in my opinion. Um the hits were seven and especially in circles, um both songs I am deadly tired of. Um the middle of the album to the like end game is sweet. Uh songs like forty seven, the blankets were the stairs one of the most emo titles I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> Skirdo, Shadows, 48 and Grendel are all incredible. Um, this is my second favorite album of the year. Uh, when I first uh, made this list, I thought it was going to be my number one. Um, even though it's my third favorite Sunny Day Real Estate album, there are two albums of theirs that I like even more. Um, go. Diary, more like diarrhea. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I got into this album in high school. Same. Um, 
And it was a big deal, right? It was important. It was sort of the blueprint for the emo, the second wave emo, um, just like you were saying. Um, I've gone back and forth on it so many mm, times. Same, same. I remember staying one night listening to this at uh, with you at your house on Pearl Street. Is that what mm. it's called? And um, just like reevaluating everything and being like, this album is incredible. Mm. And for some reason, I feel like that was like, I don't know, four or five years ago. It was probably like 10 years ago at this point, right? Yeah, I lived there in 2009 and uh, yeah. till 2011. <laughs> I don't know that I've listened to it. I mean, like I, I listened to it a lot after that, like immediately after that, and then like let it go. And I listened to it for the first time again this week and it just did not mm. click at all. Mm. And it, it's been back and forth like that for me mm. since high school where like yeah. there are moments where I'm like, Oh, this is not, this is a chore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like song about an angel especially is like brutal. Yeah. For me. That's one of my least favorite songs. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, uh, the chorus, ugh, woof. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but to your point, um Fortin Squerto <laughs> uh was like sort of the template for like the piano song on an emo album, right? Yeah, but I think it's weirder. Like I think that's a weird song. It is weird. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're like, right. And and to think that like uh Jeremy Enoch went in went on and did Return of the Frog uh Return of the Frog Queen um after their second album, um, which is like I guess kind of close to that style. Um, but it's like weird psychedelic, like folk music with lots of strings and stuff. And, um, I, I think that Enoch is an interesting emo figure head because he's not like, um, this like punk guy who is like making this kind of, I don't know. Like, I think his tastes are, uh, a little more out there and, and weird. I don't know. Yeah. And he could really shred it vocally yeah. too, right? I mean, Dude. like he gets out there. But yeah, my I mean still I know we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier this week, but Shadows Dude. stands out to me as being like I love Shadows. Dude, the verse and the chorus are awesome in that song. <laughs> yes. And the little guitar the, I don't like the, the guitar, guitar like, I don't like I love the, it. The, the break. <laughs> uh yeah. I've been feeling with emo lately that um even with Joyce Manor and more recent stuff, I just feel like if I didn't hear it when I was 17, just forget about it. I just can't, uh, I can't feel it anymore. And uh, it's, it's just a thing of the past for me. So I I couldn't get into this one. Hmm. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, that's cool. That's cool. I, Trev, I've had the same thing. Like I just go back and forth on it uh almost every time i listen maybe it'll be another three or four years before i listen to it again and i might be like ugh, i don't know i for the longest time have uh championed two other sunny day real estate albums as being way better than diary and uh i don't know this time through it just it hit me maybe it's the pandemic i don't know uh (laughs) Like getting me super emotional, or I don't know, but yeah. it really hit me. It really hit me this time. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, and that's, I was kind of referring to that when I mentioned like your consistency and like how you listen to things. Wow. Where it's like, yeah. if you loved something before, you don't, you don't betray that. Yeah. You don't forget about yeah. it. You know, it, it's like, it's, it's carried forth. Yeah. And I, uh, man, yeah, it's great. I appreciate that. All right, Trav, what's your number two? Number two, uh, Vitalogy by Pearl Jam. Vitalogy rules. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is peak Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam was very cool when I was 12 years old. They were like the uh, epitome of like Gen X bands uh, where they were like, you know, the whole flannel thing. Like, I think Vitalogy, there was a certain mystique to it because everybody older than me thought this was the coolest thing in the world. Or at least my perception of it was that way. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, people were into like more obscure things at that time. But Vitalogy, um, just, it, it seems like there was something extra special around that album. Um, and maybe it had to do something to do with like, um, you know, the Ticketmaster thing and like lack of promotion around it. Um, it was I'll love bit... Pearl Jam forever just because of the Ticketmaster thing. Yeah, yeah, it was a little, it was a little more um, mysterious because of it. But the first three songs in this album are about the best opening three songs on any album that I can think of. It's a perfect opening for me. Um, Last Exit is just so sick. It is, yeah, it is, it's awesome. and it's such the pacing of it, mm. and then to like go into spin the black circle, which just like absolutely rips in a way that like Pearl Jam like rarely ever mm. does, and then not for you, which is probably my favorite song in the album, which is kind of weird because it's like a five or six minute song that just sort of repeats the same riff over and over again, but it's such a defiant sort of like anti commercial sort of like vibe. Um, man, such an incredible opening, like yeah. trio of songs. I, the weird time signature in last exit Two is such a cool move. And yeah. Uh, what is that? Five, four. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just very disorienting and cool. Hey, do you like bugs? <laughs> <laughs> I legit love that song. I think it's awesome. I think it's a really cool, uh, I don't know. It's a really cool moment on the album for me. Yeah. Man, I will say one of, one of the highlights for me was Stupid Mop, the the weird collage at the end. Oh, did I liked that nah, a lot. Really? Yeah. And Corduroy yeah. is uh, an all-time great. Uh, yeah, Corduroy is like single. like sort of the obvious incredible song mm-hmm. from the album. Um Better Man's on this this album. Um Better Man is a song uh that was very popular. Um I don't necessarily I you know, it's it's fine. It's fine. I don't. I don't dread hearing it. Um, Better Man and Nothing Man 
uh, no relation, um, <laughs> are both these kind of like ballads that are like, eh, okay, whatever. It, it, it fits. It fits on the album. Sure. It's okay. I love, I love both of those. Cool. Mimi, I'm a bitter man and a nothing man. <laughs> Did you know that um, I think, especially early on, I don't know if this carried through for forever, but Eddie Vedder always made a point of writing a song from a woman's perspective and uh mm. did that with with uh better man and daughter at least um at least one per album um that was a pretty cool move that was a really uh-huh. cool move at that time yeah yeah except when he wrote that song i'm weak that was uh <laughs> and I, and i should stay at home that was kind of a that was a disappointing yeah. choice on his part off base yeah <laughs> Uh, my number two album of 1994. I'm pretty surprised and just a tad disappointed that I'm the only one here. Although I was excited that we have no repeats. Uh, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain by Pavement. I fully expected this to be on mine, Al, uh, before uh, starting to listen to all the albums. Okay. This is sort of like one of my first, maybe really my first indie rock records. Um, I didn't start listening to it until I was a freshman in high school, which I guess was in 1999. Um, Pavement are often sort of considered uh, the indie slackers of this movement, and there's some, to some degree, that's true. I mean, Malkmus is sort of blowing spitballs to some degree at the, the seriousness of, of Kurt Cobain era rock. But there's so much more. Um, I love when Malkmus says, uh, we have some, we, we got some good riffs and some good shalalas. And ultimately, that's what Pavement is about for me. They're just a they're a wonderfully melodic band. The guitars are frankly pretty beautiful on this record. The layers of guitars. There is uh, they are kind of standing back and and taking an ironic view of a lot of um, of a lot of what's going on. And you know, I think that people have a tendency to sort of accuse them of being like that. That's sort of like self defense or they're they're maybe even being a little snobby and they're sort of their their emotional distance but there is always something in the corner of your eye or or maybe the corner of your ear where pavement is actually um i think that anyone who's really a pavement fan knows that stephen malkmus is probably at least sort of a romantic but he knows that you will sort of at least for me as a listener, I feel more of that magic when uh, when it's sidelined and when it's just hinted at than when it is direct. So I think Pavement is, they are a funny band. Um, 
But this is an album that has a lot of really great earnest moments. There's some great epic moments. Um, it is their first album with uh, uh, Scott Westerberg playing drums. Is it S- Scott Westerberg or Steven Westerberg? Scott oh, Westerberg. Steve, Steve West. Paul. St- Steve, Steve West. Steve. Paul I'm, Westerberg. I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up <laughs> Paul Westerberg. Is it just Steve West? Is think, it as sh- simple as that? I'm pretty sure it's Steve West. Well, his uh, his playing is great on this album. It's laid back, and he's got these great drum fills. The drum fill, like the the rambling drum fill part in "Cut Your Hair," is an all time yeah, great, yeah, yeah. all time great, great drum drum break for sure. Yeah, so this is a, a sentimental favorite, and just a it's a real a real joy for me. I love it. I was shocked to find that. Um, uh, the two best songs on the album are Cut Your Hair and Gold Sounds to me. Hmm. Like, wow. Obvi- I think, like, so obvious and, like, obvious songs. Like, obvious, everybody loves those songs, but they're still, like, the best for me. Like, no, no, no other song surpasses either of those on the album. Hmm. I'm with you on Gold Sounds. I don't know if I'm with you on Cut Your Hair. Fair. That's pretty cool. Um, one of the the most recent song, the only thing that sort of reignited my interest in this after loving it for 15, 20 years is unfair. Recently mm-hmm. unfair has really been like an incredible, like pavement cornerstone for me. Um, yeah. It kind of goes back to the Weezer blue album thing for this, where I'm just like, ah, I can't hear this with fresh ears. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's the same stuff over and over. And I feel like I've always felt like the, the final three songs on the album are a bummer. Like I've mm-hmm. never felt like, like it just whimpers out after range life. Agreed. Oh, I am a very big fan of Fillmore Jive. Really? I think, yeah, I think it's a truly, it's a true epic and it's funny and it's moving to me. Great. I think, yeah. Th- yeah, I mean, I think at this point, for me personally, the more interesting question is, is this your favorite Pavement album? Yeah, I I, I don't feel the need to have a favorite Pavement album, uh, which is nice. It's, uh, I feel the same way about uh, like the, the Stones or a couple other bands that I can think of. Um, it, it rotates around. I, I would say that in recent years, I... Um, I've been drawn to brighten the corners more than any other pavement album. But I think that that's just that I'm having a moment where uh, I really like lyrics to be front and center. And I feel like that's sort of, um, I feel like that's the album that Malcolmus put the most effort into uh, lyric writing and where the lyrics are the main focal point of the record. And uh, Mm. that's, that's why I really love, brighten the corners lately but um really i think that slanted and enchanted crooked rain and brighten the corners are all pretty much perfect albums for me cool 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 all right time for some number one number one <laughs> number one uh, my favorite album we're at uh oh. we're at we're just at an hour 40 <laughs> Uh, my favorite album of 1994 is the album Holiday by The Magnetic Fields. The people you call your friends, the you 
Nice. Thank you. I uh, have Travis here to thank for getting me into this album. Uh, Trev, you put many a song from this album on a variety of mixed CDs. I want to say in the years 2006 and 2007. And I always liked them. And then I don't know what it was that it was a conversation like a few years later that um, we had that uh, made me finally decide to listen to the album. Um, And that was like 2011 or so. And um, yeah, I just instantly fell in love with it i had to buy it on vinyl immediately even a reissue um i just fell in love with it and i kind of it stuck with me for a few years like probably through 2014 or 2015 or so and then i had kind of taken a break from it um and revisiting it um on my initial run of uh listening to 94 albums um I was like, yeah, this is going to be either number one or number two. And then I listened to it again today and was just like, this is it. This album is, I I don't think it is perfect, but I think it is pretty damn close. Um, uh, it's, uh, the, the main songwriter is Stephen Merritt. I think he is considered relatively famous in, uh, indie rock, indie pop um circles he uh, was he in the adventures of pete and pete like did he make a cameo in pete and pete or just his music was in it not that um, i'm aware of okay. i know th- uh the flowers she sent and the flowers she said she said was in was in okay. pete and pete yeah. um but yeah uh highly regarded popular um indie person um what is there to say about this album? It's pretty much made with all Casio and Yamaha keyboards. It's, uh, sounds like an ode to like early eighties, um, synth pop. It's got a little bit of like a video game, uh, like eight bit video game music, uh, vibe to me. Um, some of the best melodies I've ever heard in my life. Um, just beautiful, beautiful, um, instrumentation. Um, my list of favorite songs um, is long desert Island, deep sea diving suit. Strange powers is one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life. Torn green velvet eyes, the flowers she sent and the flowers she said she sent the trouble I've been looking for, which has this really funny, obnoxiously out of tune lead synth line. And it's really, is that the one that like bends yes, down? Yes. Oh, yeah. And it's that's really, so good. It's really difficult to get through. And then the chorus hits and the chorus is insanely perfect. Um, yeah. Sugar world is awesome. All you ever do is walk away, which has one of the most insanely good choruses I've ever heard. Take ecstasy with me. That's like nine songs. I think I just listed. And there's like <laughs> five more that are at least very, very good. It is just yeah. such an incredible album, one of the most beautiful albums I've ever heard. Um, I One day in my life, I will embark on crafting a list of actual favorite albums of all time. And of all of these 94 albums, this is the one that is guaranteed to be on that list somewhere. It's just so f- good. Yeah. I hadn't listened to it, although I, I was familiar with some songs. You know, I'm familiar with 69 Love Songs. 
Uh, but I, I loved it. I can't wait awesome. to listen to more of it. That makes me so happy. It, this is an album that I want to share with everybody and that I want everybody to love. Even though I feel like it seems like Stephen Merritt is kind of a jerk. Um, but I don't know. This album is awesome. I have no interest in 69 love songs because it's 69 songs long and that's way too many songs um, for an album for me. But I will take this one 14 song album as a uh, just a wonderful masterpiece that will stick with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, man, you got me pumped up about this. Dude, <laughs> let's just do it again. Just what you just said. Like, I, yeah, I listened to it this week and I was like, yeah, this is good. It's still good. Um, but yeah. After that, that pep rally there. It's beautiful. When I listened to it today, I got so much more excited about it. And I just got that much more excited talking about it. It's such a Um, good album. Do you hear uh, Jens Lechman in it? Definitely. Yeah. I do too. Um, That was something that like, I want to say I started listening to Jens Lechman before I started Mm. listening to the Magnetic Fields. And um, that was a bit of a. Uh, a bit of a surprise mm-hmm. it was a nice one for sure but yeah this album was so great what a great pick what a great special pick thank you take x to c with me too right what a great Dude, closer awesome closer awesome awesome Didn't, closer. uh chick 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 cover that oh uh i think there's a like a longer cover of that i probably should have checked on that before i said it i don't know so i don't have to make an apology but uh didn't they yeah. do a cover of or no, no, they just had a song called Me and Giuliani Down by the Schoolyard, right? Yeah. yeah. Not a cover. Yeah. About is it about my boy Rudy? Yes. All right. Your boy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Travis, what was your number one album of nineteen ninety four? Yeah, it was Monster. Um by R.E.M. <laughs> I talked about it at length in the what's the frequency Kenneth uh episode. I don't know that there's anything I could possibly add at this point that I didn't say during that time. Uh I love it. All right. Well, my number one is an album I've mentioned before. It's Teenager of the Year by Frank Black, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, it is a, a long album. It's over an hour long. Um, it's Frank Black's second solo album. It's definitely his best solo album. I don't think there's any dispute about that. Um, 
some things that I love about Frank Black always are that he will never play all four beats of a measure just because it's standard procedure. So if there's not something interesting that's going to happen with the last beat or two, he's just going to completely slice out those beats. He's like a, he's a, it's, it's not mathy. It's not proggy. It's not showy. It's just efficient. Hmm. He wants to pack every moment of the song with just pure excitement. And uh, I absolutely love that. Um, people, when they talk about the Pixies, they have this stupid thing they talk about where all they want to say is loud, quiet, loud. Oh, the verses are quiet and the, the chorus is loud. But uh, Frank Black is like a, he's a melodicist. Um, and his, he's just as inspired by Brian Wilson as he is by, um, I don't know, Bunuel and Enchant Andalou and all that kind of stuff. He's, uh, he's really into coming up with Beatles-esque melodies and chords. And I think that this album is a really good showcase of that. Uh, his voice can be surprisingly kind of beautiful. He can switch from this like guttural growl to these really reedy high melodies really nicely. And um, this record has these sort of spacey new wave keyboards at the forefront that are uh, totally awesome. So the album has like a vague sci-fi vibe to some of the songs. So there's a little bit of that Pixies surrealism. There's a, there's a lot of melody and some of it is uh, kind of soulful and it's all incredibly clever. And I love it. I love this album so much yay <laughs> i'm glad uh i was telling you earlier pre-podcast recording that uh my one listen through was pretty exciting and i look forward to spending more time with it cool yeah, it was a really cool sounding album really great uh interesting arrangement structures um and uh yeah i how you described the way he cuts out beats and things like that. I've never heard it described that way. And it, that really makes sense. Um, it's something he always mm -hmm. does. Uh, I mean, I even thinking of like the most classic of Pixie songs, like wave of mutilation does that. Um, mm -hmm. Number 13 baby does yeah, stuff like that. Like just and, kind yeah, of like I mean, there, there's the last, uh, the last beat or the last count of the beat or, you know, yeah, it, it, it's cool. It's a cool yeah. move. Lots of, lots of two beat measures mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So there's 22 songs on this album. I can get through <laughs> nine of them comfortably um, where I'm like, this is awesome. And then at about 10, I start drifting off. Um, but then uh, I could stay here uh -huh. forever. Always brings me back in. Now hang on, uh, that's you a tune out for Fiddle album. Riddle. Shame. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't know. Like, I mean, there's just he was really really swinging for the fences on this one, and uh, <laughs> God bless him for it. <laughs> I uh, I I'm I certainly haven't given up on this album but from the moment you fell in love with it i think you shared it with me and i i see the highlights i see the moments where it's like oh this is 
this is really interesting and like this song's incredible and you know it's it's sort of like yeah it 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 jumps from from song to song but um as a whole Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to get a grasp of it i think maybe i want to say when i listen today pure denizen of the citizens band jumped out as as a pretty cool song too um but yeah, there's just so much. There's so much to take in in a 22 song, yeah, hour long album. Um, that uh, I don't know if I've grasped it yet, but I'm I'm mm-hmm. excited. To it is certainly front loaded. So you know, there's it's the it's the momentum of the first 10 tracks or so that has carried me to the end, and now I love every song on it. But uh, you really ought to listen to Fiddle Riddle again. <laughs> uh. cool well is, is that it for 1994 okay. we were pretty thorough <laughs> yeah we went a lot deeper than i expected <laughs> yeah. us to. Uh. all right well uh go ahead um did you guys did you guys want to talk about donkey butt by 12 gauge um i guess i don't know what you're referring to Dun- donkey okay. or donkey? donkey butt by 12 gauge donkey <laughs> It's donkey. I checked myself. It D-U-N-K. sounds like it should be donkey, but it's donkey. Um, cool. Yeah, D D donkey. But how do you know okay. it's not donkey? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good question. I don't know. All right. Well, I, we're gonna take a, a little time off. We're gonna we're gonna take a little break in between 1994 and 1995, but we're excited for our first full year um some some great songs coming up so um i'll see you guys in like a like a a couple weeks see you next year you mean okay i have um i have plans on the 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 day that we would normally meet but i think we can figure things out i have uh i have kind of a weird party on the day that we're we're set to do our next recording session um, oh. I've been having these chloroform parties where I have friends over and we just, we hold chloroform up to each other's faces and we just pass out. Um, so we can still schedule something. We'll just have to schedule something for when I come around. <laughs> that was good. Al. that one came out of nowhere. I was, I was totally confused uh, yeah, about you. what the hell you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good, good, good. All right. Well, uh, take it easy, everybody. We'll see you in 1995. Yeah. Should we sh- should see we count down the, the the the, the ball drop? Let's count yeah. it down. It's almost Check time. Yeah. yeah. It's all right. Time. Yep. Uh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Ten. Nine, eight, eight, eight seven, 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 six, six, six five, 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 four, four three, 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 two, two, two one. one. <laughs>